Thanks so much. Exactly. Good morning. Good morning on Zoom. Good morning in person. Uh, AD asked me to provide just a brief update about COVID-19 and start with kind of a big picture. So I couldn't help but think back to this summer when for a brief but wonderful time we were feeling bulletproof after vaccinations and our uh, UIHC new news has our COVID numbers of hospitalizations and they were edging ever, ever closer to zero. We were given permission to take off our masks and much of the world, even in healthcare, seemed to go back to normal. And then in the fall came the Delta wave, a variant that was twice as infectious and even those who were vaccinated learned that they were not invincible. Across the country, numbers of COVID hospitalizations was on the rise and at the same time healthcare facilities were seeing staff and clinicians leave to go find different professions. Hospitals around the state were, were reporting near maximum capacity, and yet the actual total number of people hospitalized was less than it was the year before. So it wasn't because of a lack of beds or physical space, it was just a lack of actual healthcare providers there to care for the patients. So news of Omicron came in November, and we watched the, the positivity cases kind of sweep across the globe and sweep across the country. And even though it seems to cause a less, a less severe course of illness, it is so darn infectious that the way that the math works is that the sheer number of persons that will become infected mean that the small percentage of those that will be hospitalized will potentially overwhelm our system. So this last week has removed any doubt as to whether or not Omicron is actually here. Johnson County has seen an over 250% increase in cases, and we're currently the hottest county in the state of Iowa. We have 159 cases per 100,000 people. Johnson County Public Health was receiving so many positive cases that they simply gave up contact tracing and instead redeployed all of their staff to answer phone calls. We received emails, those of us who have kids in the school system, that they're kind of doubling down on not actually doing any contact tracing and on making quarantining uh, exposed children optional. So in my role at the University of Iowa, I oversee our telehealth program, um, our outpatient testing, and also our home monitoring. So I wanna be really clear that my work is not actually in the front line caring for patients with COVID-19. So, I really am more kind of background. I do a lot of meetings, I create protocols, I help sort of implement strategies. So I'm privy to discussions with these no-win outcomes. So how to decide which patients from small local hospitals we at the university will accept and care for. What care is deemed essential and what care is deemed elective. And how we prioritize and essentially ration those that we will continue to swab and test for COVID-19. Our quick care and urgent care clinics are seeing a volume of patients we have never seen before, and we're routinely having discussions about how we try to make changes so that our staff will take a 30-minute lunch break because they refuse to do so when the waiting room is stacked eight or nine patients deep. And so we are not making decisions about who will or won't receive a ventilator, and thank God for that. But we're still making decisions that have far-reaching ramifications. In order to provide care for those people who have COVID in the inpatient units or in the infusion suites where we do monoclonal antibodies and infusions or in the drive-through where we're testing people, we need to shift people out of their regular jobs and unfortunately stop providing care in those areas. This means that patients that have waited months for a quality of life changing orthopedic surgery may see that surgery postponed sometimes again. 
and people who are waiting for their annual exam with their primary care provider to finally mention that lump in their breast that they need a mammogram for may have to wait even longer. These decisions will not be popular, not with our patients, and definitely not with our already tired and overworked staff. So based on the predictions of our epidemiologists, we're planning for a surge that lasts the next maybe four to six weeks. COVID has been a poignant example of how the behavior of a collective group of people affects an entire population, and Omicron is no different. So some things that we know can make a difference, get vaccinated, and if you've already been, get a booster. Even if you get the virus, your risk of hospitalization is so much less. Wear a mask around others for a full 10 days if you've been exposed or have tested positive, even though the guidelines have now changed only five days of home isolation or quarantine. And if you have symptoms, stay home and be patient while trying to find a test. You can go through UIHC or your local PCP, test Iowa, or an at-home antigen test. So I wanna end by sharing just a quick story, one that I'm, I'm certain is uh, familiar to what some of you have experienced this holiday season. So on Christmas Eve, we had plans to go to the Quad Cities and spend the afternoon and then the evening and the overnight with my brother and my parents. I brought a lot of at-home antigen tests and upon arrival made everyone swab their nose. And after, uh, and after uh, the you know, required 15 minutes, my dad who'd been double vaxxed and boosted tested positive. So after a significantly shortened and altered gift opening event, we all got into our vehicles and went our respective ways. My dad is 75 and he's chronically ill, so I told my mom that he really needed to have that antibody infusion. So the Christmas holiday and the short supply of tests in monoclonal or in Northwest Indiana meant that it was days before he could actually get a slot to be swabbed for, with a PCR test. And after he was swabbed, my mom called me and she raved about how efficient the drive-through testing at their local hospital was. From the person meeting the cars in the back of the line, who radioed to their colleague at the front of the line, who printed labels to the kind woman who swabbed his nose through the window and called him honey. And I silently shook my head on the other end of the line and I thought about our own UIHC staff who on that very day and every day for the past 22 months have swabbed tens of thousands of noses. And they've done it while it's been raining and snowing and in the sweltering heat with kicking and screaming children who know what is about to happen to them. <laughs> the joy and the hope of this time of year, last year, when for a brief moment, those very same staff had a respite while they were giving the very first doses of COVID vaccine. That seems so very far away. It's been a difficult 22 months for all of us, but particularly challenging for those in healthcare with a front row view. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to share, to share today. Thank you for the calls and the text messages and the words of encouragement you've given to me and for those people in your own life who are in healthcare, and I'd like to close us now with a prayer. God of love and mercy and justice, I pray for our healthcare workers, for those who have worn N95 respirators and face shields and gowns while caring for people with COVID on ventilators in our ICUs, for those pharmacists who have made phone calls describing the risks and benefits of monoclonal antibody treatment to patients recently diagnosed with COVID and afraid of how their chronically ill body will handle the course of the infection. For the medical assistants who have performed more nasopharyngeal swabs than they could have ever imagined. 
for the providers who have spent hours on telemedicine visits and have calmly and reassuringly helped patients with COVID stay at home and out of the hospital, to the contact tracers who have helped patients navigate what this means for them and their loved ones, to the clerical workers who have answered countless phone calls and helped direct people to the appropriate place in the healthcare system, for the providers and nurses who continue to kindly and patiently ask each and every patient if they have been vaccinated, and if not, if they are interested in learning more about how safe and effective it is. For the IT people and data analysts who make all of the logic work behind the scenes. God, I ask you to keep them healthy and to keep them safe, to give them the ability to, at the end of their shift, turn their thoughts from their patients and the stress of their jobs to their loved ones and to caring for themselves. Give them restful sleep and vacation days that are not interrupted by a text from their supervisor asking them to pick up a shift. Give them patients who greet them with a smile and a thanks. Give them the knowing that they are loved and enough and remembered. In Jesus' name, amen. Morning, everyone. Thank you so much, Katie. Uh, thank you for your sober sharing, but also your hopeful uh, sharing. I want to do something a little more lighthearted, if I can. <laughs> so I'm um, glad we can be together. Shout out to you Zoomers and those on Facebook Live. Um, okay, we're going to start with a pop quiz. This might be our first pop quiz at Sanctuary. I'm not quite sure, but I think it is. Um, but this is no ordinary pop quiz, folks. This is going to test your ability to predict the future. So if you want, pull out your smartphone. You can scan that code, and you can do it on your phone. If you don't want to, that's totally fine. <laughs> Up to you. It's optional. Um, if you're on Zoom, you can probably see that quiz code, I hope. We'll share that screen, yeah. And if you're on Facebook, it's in the comments section where you can find that quiz online. All right, next slide, please, Nikki. So here are the five questions. There's only two options for each of the five questions, okay? Number one, will the S&P be up by at least 9.5% by the end of 2022? If you don't know what the S&P is, don't worry about it. Just pick yes or no. Who will win the Super Bowl? Tom Brady and the Bucks or any other team? I don't think the Bucks are actually favored, so this might be easy. I don't know. Will the Iowa legislature end its legislative session on time on April 19th? They haven't ended on time in years, folks, so this should be an easy one, too. Will the rate of inflation in the U.S. climb above 7.5%? And will Kim Reynolds win her re-election campaign for Iowa governor? We're not writing history here, folks. We're just predicting it, Okay. Um, but does talking about the future change the future? Huh? That's when we really get in the thick of it. Um, okay, so what I love about exercises like this um, is that it highlights just how uncertain and unknowable the future is. And you can read now a bunch of social science studies regarding human beings in the future. And it turns out that human beings are really horrible at predicting the future. <laughs> like we're really bad at it. And there's all kinds of reasons for this. And you can, you can read those studies. I would highly uh, encourage you. It's, it's entertaining. Um, humans are bad at predicting the future. But here's a question. What about God? 
how would God do on that 2022 prediction quiz? Does God know the future? Now, that might, for some of you, sound like a little surprising question to hear in church because many Christian traditions teach that God knows everything, including the future. But this is not at all a settled, conclusive doctrine. Throughout the last couple thousand years, theologians, church leaders have arrived at many different conclusions about God's knowledge of the future. And I'll give you just a quick example about with those who would argue that's not the case. Um, And that is that they read in the Bible lots and lots of stories where God is surprised or God changes God's mind. And they say, well, if God's surprised or God changes God's mind, then God can't know or God knows that God's going to change God's mind? Like, how does this work, right? And the other theologians would push back and be like, oh, we have answers to how this all works. Trust us. And around and around we go into theology, and that's the fun stuff. Um, But the point is, it's not a settled issue on God's knowledge of the future. And it's, it's fun to consider different alternatives. But here's the thing. There is one thing that everyone agrees on related to God in the future. And that is that when God considers the future... God is not anxious. God is not afraid. God's not wondering if things will work out okay. And that's because God is God. (laughs) And God is not wondering if there will be some threat to God and God's well-being. And the invitation for us is rather significant when we think about how God feels about the future because we are invited to tap into God's non-anxious presence concerning the future. And that's the invitation for us this morning. What if, by faith, we could claim for ourselves God's non-anxious presence? How might that change us when we consider the uncertainty of 2022 and beyond. All right, so we're going to read a story from the Bible uh, that pulls at the tensions of the uncertainty towards the future and God's non-anxious presence and how those kind of collide and and the good stuff that happens in there. Um, The story is the only story we have of Jesus as a preteen, as a child. He's 12 years old in this story, and it's awesome. Okay, so we're going to pick it up. It's in Luke chapter 2. We'll have it on the screen. Now, every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up, as usual, for the festival. And when the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents did not know it. Rascal. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. <laughs> okay, this is like Home Alone, sort of. I think, I think Luke saw Home Alone and was like, this is good stuff. I got to tell that story that one time. They started to look for Jesus among their relatives and friends. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days. Three days Jesus is missing. Imagine missing your child for three days. Okay. They found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. 
When his parents saw him, they threatened to ground him for a year. No cell phone, no Xbox. Oh, wait, that's not in this. Okay, wait. His parents saw him. They were astonished. And his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. He said to them, Why were you searching for me, Mom? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. (laughs) His mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. Whew, okay. So this is uh, the version of Jesus' life according to Luke. And in the first two chapters of Luke's story, really the main character is Mary, Jesus' mom. It's her story. It's all her, and she gets all the airtime. And there's a major focus on her experience. Well, her experience in this story is horrifying. Her 12-year-old boy is missing. They traveled to Jerusalem, which is the capital city, the big city for the major festival of Passover. The city would have been bustling with crowds of people like Disney World on a crowded day, Kinnick Stadium on game day, Washington, D.C., it's the 4th of July, right? Just streams of people. And the little boy Jesus, who's 12, he just loved it. He loved it so much, he decided to stay. (laughs) I'm going to stay in the city. The family and their big traveling company get a day's journey home when they realize Jesus is missing. Somebody miscounted. Some kid got counted twice. I don't know what happened, but Jesus ain't there. All right, just imagine the argument that broke out between husband and wife in that moment. I thought you had him. I thought you had him. You always assume it's my responsibility. Joseph be like, it's God's kid. Why can't God keep track of him? Maybe not. Um, I I meant this argument probably continued, right, for three days that Jesus is missing. Um, And it's it's quite amazing to think about this, right? Three days. Like, imagine, you know, your child is missing in Chicago for three days. Like, what does that feel like? Uh, Parents in the room. Anyone ever had your child go missing for just, yeah? Yeah, right. I've had that. I've only had it for like a moment. But you know, you have this experience where you turn around and your child's not there. And for me, my body just became flooded with adrenaline. And it's like that fight or flight mechanism just kicks in, but it's all fight. <laughs> it's like, I will do anything. I have a singular focus. And if anything or anyone gets in my way, I will destroy them because I will find my child, right? And like your voice gets louder as you start yelling your child, your eyesight's clear. Um, Everything changes. Now imagine Mary and Joseph, they have that feeling for three days. (laughs) That's a long time. And I imagine that that panic, though, gives way to something else. And that is 
they begin thinking about the future. And they are flooded with dark scenarios of what may be happening to their child or what's going to happen to their child in the future. Maybe Jesus has been kidnapped. He's been sold into slavery. Maybe he's been arrested by some Roman soldiers. He's being beaten and tortured and who knows what. He's been captured. Right now, he's being trained to fight as a gladiator. I know it, Joseph. The future, because it is uncertain. When we pair that with amazing human imagination, we can come up with all kinds of dark scenarios. And that future has a way of encroaching on our present and can really mess with us. That is what Mary and Joseph would have been contending with in their three-day journey searching for Jesus. All right, now, let's flip it, because for Jesus, he's having a very different experience right now. (laughs) Jesus, no care in the world, hanging out in the temple with the religious leaders, philosophizing, theologizing, so fun. This is Jesus' version of Disney World. Like, he's having a great time. And I don't know where he sleeps or gets food, but it's fine. It's taken care of. The house elves manage it somehow. (laughs) It works out. The religious teachers then are amazed at this precocious boy who is full of wonder and wisdom beyond his years. He's asking very fruitful questions and answering some of his own. It's remarkable. All right, so we have, on one hand, Mary and Joseph, their experience panic, dark scenarios. And on the other hand, Jesus, chill, loving it, no sense of being lost. And the crucial detail is that Jesus is in the temple. Jesus is in the place where God dwells. This is the place of God's presence God's non-anxious presence. And so the solution, literally, to Mary and Joseph's anxiety is in God's presence in the temple. And it's a perfect metaphor for finding relief from anxiety, from all the uncertainty all that we don't know or can't see about what will happen, there is peace. There is comfort in God's presence. Right there. Day three, Mary and Joseph find him. Mary says, child, why have you treated us like this? And Jesus explains himself. They don't understand what he says, which I love that detail. Um, And then, you know, we get a couple lines at the end. Jesus' mother treasured these things in her heart. Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. And then the next verse in Luke's story, Jesus is 30 years old. That's it. We we don't get any other uh, stories or episodes from Jesus' childhood or teenage years. It would have been so fun to get those, wouldn't it? Um, But because... This is the only story from Jesus' childhood. It's a small sample size. It's a sample size of one. But it indicates, it gives us a window into Mary and Joseph's experience. 
as parents, which is it was not easy. It was full of anxiety. Now, it's true that Mary and Joseph have a very special task, okay? Raising Jesus. But at another level, they are parents. They're parents. They're human beings. They're just like you and me. They don't know the future. They don't know what's going to happen. They want good things for themselves, for their children, for Jesus. They want good things in the world, just like you and me. That is all of us. We don't know the future. We don't know what's going to happen. We want good things, right? We want good things for ourselves, for our children, for everyone, really. We want to know that things will be okay, that we will be secure, that we'll have a secure home, we'll be provided for. We want a sense of meaning and purpose. We think about the future, and those are the kinds of things that we hope we will all enjoy. What if we could guarantee those things? What if we knew that the future held all of those benefits? We wouldn't be afraid. We wouldn't wonder. We wouldn't be anxious about the future. But we don't know. And so comes the opportunity for anxiety and fear about the future. The future is full of uncertainty. And at any moment, we can start to feel overwhelmed with anxiety about what's happening or what might will or what might happen. And just like Mary and Joseph, we are invited to find our solution sitting in God's presence. Um, I definitely feel a lot of resonance with this story as I think about 2022 and beyond. Uh, the third year of the pandemic is upon us. I saw someone joke about, it's the pandemic's junior year. <laughs> I was like, that's oddly funny. Stop it. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, it is, it's a year full of uncertainty. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen to us personally. What events will shape us, our families, our friends. We don't know what's going to happen in politics, in economics, in climate. I know a lot of us are experiencing upheaval in all kinds of ways. You know, we just heard Katie share um, about the medical profession itself. And I know many of you are in that world. Some of us are teachers, and we're finding it incredibly difficult right now. How do we teach our children, given all the usual challenges, but way more even now? Students facing disruptions to their academic programs. All of us are facing different challenges and upheaval, even if not directly sick, all of us are feeling the effects in different ways. So what do we do with this? How will we cope with the uncertainty of the future? I've been trying to practice a few things, and I just want to share those um, in case any of our are helpful. 
Um, but I feel myself getting anxious about the future, and I'm just trying to stop and listen to that part of myself. So that's one of the things I'm trying to do, is just, just acknowledge it, like, oh, I feel anxious. You know, and that itself has been a helpful exercise, just saying to myself, I'm feeling anxious, because it gives me a little more control. It feels like, oh, I've named it, I can do something with it. I'm trying to be on social media a little less, um, I'm finding it doesn't help me. <laughs> um, or I'm just, I'm, you know, judicious about how I'm engaging on social media. I'll say it that way. I'm also trying to be discerning about what kind of media I'm consuming or watching. I'm finding that, you know, there's this very thin line for me between staying well-informed and discovering 12 reasons the world will end on Tuesday. <laughs> and I can find you those 12 reasons. Just ask me. No. Um, you know, but I, I have to discipline myself then. Okay, what am I taking into myself, right? What am I seeing? How is it affecting me? I've been trying to pay attention to my body and what I feel like I need. You know, like, why am I eating right now? <laughs> Do I need comfort? Is comfort in the refrigerator and reassurance about the future? Um, well, comfort's definitely in the refrigerator, absolutely. Um, but not the kind of thing I might actually need, <laughs> the kind of comfort and reassurance about the future. Um, my wife, Allie, loves walking, and I'm enjoying that as well. You know, so we take walks, and I find that is just helpful. It's helping me be less anxious about today, about the future. And then finally, I'm experimenting with prayer. Lately, I find myself just uh, really enjoying being still. And I'm not even saying anything particularly to God. I'm just sipping my coffee. And I'm telling myself, um, I'm just, I start to narrate the present. And we're going to practice this in a minute. But what I mean by that is I'll just sit there and I'll say, I am sipping my coffee. My coffee is warm. I am in God's presence, sipping my coffee. I am in a secure place. I am in God's presence. I can't tell you, that is, it's just such a helpful exercise for me, that kind of prayer, that present prayer. I feel better. I feel God's comfort and reassurance. And I have a sense of hope. I think it's God's hope. For the future, that come what may, all shall be well. So I want to invite us to try that now, um, to try that simple prayer practice of sitting in God's presence. Um, so I invite you to, yeah, get comfortable, however uh, getting comfortable will, will help you in prayer. Uh, you can close your eyes for this or keep them open, whatever will help you to pray. And you can begin by simply focusing on your breathing. Inhale and exhale. Inhale and exhale. And remind yourself where you are right now. I am in church at Sanctuary. Or if you're at home, I am at home. Right now, I am in a secure place. I'm connecting with others, a good community 
of people. I'm in a community of people who want good things for me and for the world. This is a place where God dwells. Jesus is here with me. God is here with me. Inhale and exhale. I am sitting in God's presence right now. When I consider the future now in God's presence, I feel God's reassurance. I feel God's hope and comfort. God, help us to receive your presence this day. Help us to find that which we are seeking, to come into your presence, to find you there, to hear your words of reassurance and comfort that all shall be well. Help us, O God, this day and in this present and for our future. In Jesus' name, amen.